Welcome to the For Fox Sake podcast, by the fans, for the fans. With all the news, views and discussion from two lifelong Leicester City supporters. It's your show, so get in contact, make yourselves heard, what's your opinion? The only Leicester City podcast that's by the fans, for the fans. This is For Fox Sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby and alongside me is Mr. Rob Hayes in For Fox Sake HQ2. Rob, hey up. Hey up, how are we doing? I'm alright. I do have a question straight away. Um, Has Leicester, or have Leicester, ever qualified for the either Europa League, UEFA Cup, Champions League, apart from the obvious, okay, in 2016, have we actually qualified for Europe before via a league position? That's a very interesting question. You almost let it slip when we had a little chat before we hit record, but you you managed to get away with it. We were just um, certainly not in any time that I can recall the odd European venture that we've been on um, has been by virtue of um, League Cup wins in in the former glory days of Martin O'Neill and then uh, obviously winning the Premier League a couple of seasons ago. Yeah. So uh, based on the fact that you're asking me the question, I'm going to say no. I I don't think so either because you've got, again, league win aside, you've got the two League Cup wins in, in the 90s they qualified through winning the League Cup in the 60s. Um, then they played in, I'm sure, 64 as well. And that would have been after the Ice King season, which we know they finished fourth in the league, but um, they got to the FA Cup final. And because Spurs won the double, that would mean that they played then. And because Spurs obviously won the double. So I can't think that there was actually a time Leicester have actually qualified for Europe in the league. I'm just trying to put a bit of perspective on the fact that we have qualified for the Europa League. Fingers crossed it's going to be the Champions League, but, you know, that achievement alone, and don't get me wrong, we're not going to go all happy-clappy and isn't it wonderful because there is the elephant in the room of being inside the Champions League places for so long. We know that. And we know that you know that, and you know that we know that you know that. So, what are we going to do now, Rob? The fact is, we're sitting here with one game of the season to go against Manchester United at home, a pretty much winner-takes-all type scenario, maybe a draw for both sides. Who knows? We'll wait and see what happens with United against West Ham, with Chelsea and their visit to Anfield. And this podcast is going to be odd first of all because and i'm pretty sure you'll agree with me rob we're not going to do a big kind of dissection of the squad who needs to stay who needs to go where do we need to improve that's for after the manchester united game and we'll go through the squad as we normally do player by player rate their season and then go into detail and ask also the listeners as well who do you think we should sign? Where do you think we should improve, etc.? That's for another day. Okay. Um, do we then go through the two games we've played? Yes. The win against Sheffield United and the defeat to Tottenham. And also then we'll look forward to the Manchester United game. 
but there is going to be a sense of defeat already because that's the way I think most Leicester fans are feeling at the moment because of the slip, because of the fact that United are overwhelming favourites to get that place and Chelsea obviously away from Leicester. Um, but immediately after the game, there was a kind of when we when we knew we were qualified for the Europa League, there was a kind of an uplift after the the Sheffield United, a kind of pride that we've. We've done it. We've we've qualified for Europe, even though it was on the cards. But soon as it was declared, then yeah, I, I I was I was really proud. And then looking forward to to Europe. But there there is that sense of defeat in the air, isn't there? There really is. There is, of course, there is. Yeah. Uh, if we'd have recorded this podcast straight after the victory against Sheffield United, I think um, we would have been talking more positive than negative and and don't get me wrong we're not um we're not going to sort of put a dampener on things and make this a negative podcast there will be some areas for development that we might come across um but the feeling was good after the Sheffield United game they were in a, a good little spell of form they're a very effective side they've still got goals to um to achieve themselves this season um so so it was a good win um and the fact that it guaranteed us a place in Europe, which, if you'd have said, with a few games to spare, um, if you'd said this at the start of the season, a few games to spare, you'll be definitely qualified for Europe, and it would give um, Leicester pretty much their second-best finish in the Premier League era, which it, which it will be, then you would have absolutely said, yes, please. But the thing is... We wanted, uh, as fans, we wanted to build on that momentum and and to sort of push one step further because of what's gone on in the in the previous 35-36 games in order to beat Tottenham and give ourselves a fighting chance of finishing in the top four in the Champions League. So it's not... And, and in a few weeks' time on reflection, if, we, if Europa League is to be our destination, then great. We wanted some kind of European competition. It shows that we've had a good season overall and we've finished in the in the top third of the league, pretty much. Then, then fantastic. But there always is that but. Uh, and we've still got the opportunity to, to make it to the Champions League, which is fine. But it does feel like there are, right now at this moment, more things to be disappointed about than there are to feel positive about now I'm sure this will change in the summer uh, regardless of how long or short the pre-season and the summer uh, and the summer transfer window etc is I'm sure it will change to a sense of optimism we'll bring in some signings we will embark on our European campaign and we will think yes this season was a great one to build on a good foundation for next season to hopefully go the next step further however we have been sat in a Champions League place since September and now we are very close to not being so at the time of recording Man- Manchester United have a game in hand. So the the feeling is slightly on the on the disappointed side. I don't really want to say negative. I want to say slightly disappointed. That's exactly what it is. And I think it also means an awful lot more because we can't be there. 
we're not in the grounds so you are watching from afar and it feels like the hard work and the efforts and the time that you put in as a, as a supporter for those who can go to games or are fortunate to live near the ground or or just be able to get a ticket for example those who go to the games must feel slightly and and this is nothing against people who don't go to the ground at all absolutely whatsoever but if you've gone to all the games or the home games gone to many of the away games and now you can't go and then you've seen Leicester drop off in form it must be worse because it you ha- you can't do anything about it you can't go to the next game and cheer louder you can't go to the next game and try and get the people around you uh, to sing or to get involved or, or just to, to feel that sense of, of, of helping towards the cause. It, you can't do that when you're not there. And whether that's something that maybe people would not have thought of, it's certainly actually for me something I haven't thought of until just now. So whether supporters, because again, we are supporters, but for what we do at the King Power, it's not quite the same because we don't sit there shouting it. Well, occasionally, but uh, we're not meant to. But um, it's... It is disappointing, and that is the word, because you still have to take into account the size of the club, the first team, the standard, the size of the squad, etc. And the fact it is the Premier League and the state of modern football, etc. We are doing extremely well. But that to one side, because you have to look at the cold hard facts. A good win against Sheffield United, a good performance, although I I will say Sheffield United were disappointing. Was it because of Leicester playing well and controlling the game and or was it because they maybe had put an awful lot of effort into previous games and had just kind of almost hit a wall? I think maybe a bit of both. They did look slow and ponderous and tired Um, and Leicester, they dominated the game, played very well. I thought Yuri Tillemans was excellent and young thomas was was great on debut as well but it it was quite a simple game and it didn't in any way and this is definitely not after time and it might sound like it but i never felt after the game rob that i had any more or i thought there was a possibility of leicester now getting a win at tottenham because of that performance against sheffield united it was good and it was great to get the three points and it was great to steady the ship, but I didn't one second come out of that game going, right, if we do the same again, we're going to win at Tottenham, or I'm really now encouraged to go and get something from Spurs, because I, I just wasn't really, at the time, before the Spurs game, thinking we might get anything, and then, of course, it went horribly wrong. So, again, we're going to kind of marry the two games together um, and mainly concentrate uh, on the Spurs game. It's it's opened up an awful lot of questions regarding certain players, and again, we'll come on to those uh, in more detail on on the next podcast after the season's finished. But but it's it's hard to not mention them, and I've already mentioned Thomas um, Ryan Bennett at, at centre half, thoroughly exposed for um, his weakness, and and I think many people now would look at him and go, he's actually not a player that we're probably going to go through with and sign. And I think that's probably the case at the club as well. And it was a terrible start to get off to. An unfortunate goal, although when Bennett falls over and it, it comes off um, Justin, who who could have done a lot better to try and either block the shot or get into at a better position. It, it, was, it was an unlucky break for Tottenham, but they took their chances and we didn't. 
their goalkeeper had a blinder. Yes, he he did, and he he he, he had that fantastic save from Perez, and it it could have been it could have been different, and we could go into all the chances, but the fact is, it, it wasn't, and they've got the points, we haven't got the points, and we got to win against Manchester United. So, um, Rob, for me, I think we should start with Thomas, because it was a surprise that he played against Sheffield United. He was included in the first team squad for trainings this year on one or two occasions promoted to the first team squad towards the end of the week. I know at the beginning of the week some of the young players are involved and they are as a as a bunch, but when it came to mini games and set piece drills, etc., he was being used more and more. Then you get the articles in the Athletic, you get the reports by local press, and then you get the kind of player bio. Where's he from, and how good do they do they rate Thomas? And it slowly came out that he's very, very highly rated. That was all pre kind of lockdown, and then all of a sudden, bang, there he is in the first team. And I'm impressed. And you're not going to predict a career of a player with two starts. It's not the end of the earth that he's made mistakes. It's not going to turn him into the best left-back in the world for having a, a very competent and comfortable game against Sheffield United. But the player has shown a very high level of skill, of technical ability, and he looks very level-headed. And he looks like a player who, in time, could easily become a first-team left-back at Leicester and a Leicester City who are... Again, pushing for Europe year on year. Yeah, I'd agree with that. He seems to be a good all-rounder. He's not just an out-and-out defender. He's not um, one of those that is good going forward but has his defensive frailties. He seems to have a bit of everything. And the main thing is is his temperament. At 19, to go into a game against Sheffield United that was really important to the club's season overall... Um, to know that you're the third choice left back at the club, which you, you guess you'd expect at 19 for most players, um, with the England left back and an experienced former international captain and Champions League quarter finalist ahead of you as well. That's fine. You know, you learn everything you can off of them. Um, and I was impressed with, with how he did against Sheffield United. If Leicester had come up against a full steam ahead, Sheffield United, would it have been a different story? Quite possibly. But, you know, we're dealing with the facts. And the fact is, Sheffield United were below par. You see Chris Wilder's post-match interview. If you haven't yet seen it, by the way, he does not pull back any punches. He goes properly in on his team. So that kind of gives you a measure of to the... Um, to the performance level of Sheffield United based on what they can produce this season. So I agree with your point that it was kind of a bit of both. They weren't quite at the races, which gave us a little bit of impetus and a bit of confidence to to take the game by the scruff of the neck. If they'd have come and they'd have wanted to win all the 50-50s, I believe that they would have and we'd have got absolutely trounced. But they didn't and we took advantage and that's fine. And it was a good opportunity and a good game in the end then for Luke Thomas to make his debut. Um he acquitted himself very, very well. I was impressed with how good he was on the ball. I liked the fact that he had the confidence to look forward and to try and play the ball forward. How many times do we see, especially when Chilwell's playing left wing back and he's got no natural wide player ahead of him, how many times do you see him wanting to take that first touch backwards and, and his body shape never seems quite 
ambitious enough for me. Uh, well, not often enough, anyway. Not never, but not often enough. Luke Thomas looked to me to be positive, looked to be trying to play forward, but I think that mirrored the the approach of the rest of the team as well because they felt they were on the front foot in the game. So really good debut. Pleased for him that he got man of the match. Excellent assist for the Perez goal. You know, so many times you'd see a fullback just toss that into an area, but he's seen it. He's seen the gap. He's pulled the pullback um, perfectly in, in for Perez, who's, who's produced an excellent finish. Now, if we had had Fuchs or Chilwell back to fitness for the Spurs game... I would not have started Luke Thomas, and, and I know this can sound like hindsight, but I was I was thinking it as I was reading the sort of pre-match stuff about Spurs and seeing that Fuchs and Chilwell weren't going to be available, because the expectation level, and we as Leicester fans, I think, are as guilty as any of um, blowing things a little bit out of proportion, expectation-wise. Take this season as a whole, for example, as we're Leicester City, for goodness sake, and there's people whinging that we might be just missing out on a Champions League place. Doesn't happen very often. So I think people would have been were expecting a bit more from him in the Spurs game. Now, Spurs have improved quite a lot in quite a short space of time under, under Mourinho and had a, a couple of decent results. Um... And we were not on the kind of run or piece of momentum that we could have been from a good 2-0 win against Sheffield United. I agree with you, Pete. It wasn't inspirational. It was 2-0 against a mediocre performing side. And we take the three points. So we went into the Spurs game in pretty much the same amount of form, same lack of momentum. And we got punished for dallying on the ball. To bring it specifically to Luke Thomas to round off, because I know I've, I've warbled a bit on this point, but he, yes, gave the ball away for two of their goals. That's You can't take away from that. But what you can look at is everything else before and after that happened. One of the goals came from a very poor Yuri Tielemans corner. He must have hit the first man with, I don't know, half of his corners in that game. And we had a lot of corners. So Tielemans better ball in doesn't get cleared by the man at the near post up to the halfway line. Yes, Thomas should deal with it better. But then both times, um, Ryan Bennett was guilty of making the same mistake. One mistake, especially against somebody like Son, who has got a ridiculous shift of pace, is forgivable. Bennett's not known for his pace. He should have shown him more to the outside and prevented him from coming inside. And yes, he's had a little slip against Son. But, okay, forgive the one. You can't, from a very similar situation, make the same mistake again against somebody who has the natural finishing ability of Harry Kane. Doesn't matter that he seems to be in a very difficult place to score from. How many times have we seen Harry Kane score from there in in recent years? He's an unbelievable finisher. Show him outside. Doesn't show him outside. Doesn't get tight enough for me. And, And it's frustrating that it was the same scenario as the Son goal. So it's two mistakes from an experienced defender in the same game. And that, for me, is unforgivable. Yes, Thomas had a direct part to play in terms of his mistakes in in the goals. But was he the only person to blame? Absolutely not. Should we pin the blame at his door? Absolutely not. And can we trust him to play in the next game if there's no Chilwell or no Fuchs? Why not? Because it's a hell of a lot better than losing the the balance when you try and 
put a square peg in a round hole. He's a left back who can play left wing back and and I'd give him another game. We can't blame him for that 3-0 defeat. Oh, certainly not. So I don't think many people will be. And also the position that we're in in the league has no real bearings on that last game, really, because we've lost it against Brighton, which we've gone on quite at length over the last few podcasts. And also games against Norwich, etc. You could pinpoint plenty of times, just since the restart, in fact, of where we have let it slip rather than losing at Tottenham. It does throw open some holes in the squad and also some players who are who, who are lacking, like Bennett, for example. When it comes to Thomas, the fact that he's playing is down to his own development as a player, but also the fact that we are lacking at the left-back position. Chilwell and Fuchs aren't going to play this season, so Thomas has to play. I, I don't like if they try and, you know, as you said, put a, a square peg in a round hole. I, I just don't like them doing that. Yes, if it was a complete disaster for Thomas on debut and yes and uh, yesterday, then yeah, you, you you might not, and then you'd go with a, a more experienced player. Uh, what we'll do against United will come on to, um, but but elsewhere it, it it was it was a good overall performance. They took their chances. When you got Harry Kane, one of the best strikers in the world, it's just going to happen, and we didn't. Which again sums it up when we look at the squad overall. The reliance on goals from Jamie Vardy is it is all too clear when you just look at the best stats alone. And but also then in the game you throw in a, a really good performance by their goalkeeper, and it, it just didn't happen. And it's a real shame because a win would have been fantastic, and. We could have been sitting there going right. We've got we've got a fantastic chance against United to to get something and, and maybe even a defeat because Chelsea might lose their two games or draw one and and and, and happy days. But uh, it's not the case. Um, now the back three has it worked to an extent against Sheffield United. If you're looking at a team in the Premier League to play a back three that includes Bennett. Evans and Morgan, Sheffield United would be one of those sides that you would pick. And then you go play away at Spurs, who are now in the mould of a counter-attacking side with Son and Moore. And then you've got Harry Kane finishing the moves off. It's not the greatest back three really to be playing, but it's the one that we've got. When you're missing three of your regular back four through injury and suspension, it's a very difficult thing to manage. Any side in the Premier League would suffer. Again, is it the reason that we've slipped up completely, making completely no excuses? No, not at all. But it is a genuine fact, and it's a a fact that people who maybe don't support Leicester, who I was talking to today, I was explaining that fact. They were saying, oh, you're missing a few players in defence. And then when I tell them the defence and the three players missing, I said, yes, imagine if Liverpool, for example, were missing um, Trent Alexander-Arnold, uh, Robertson on the other side and Virgil van Dijk imagine it, it, they would be have serious problems and also one of their forwards say obviously with Willis it would be Madison um, one of their creative players it, it would any side would miss these players and it's just happened at the wrong time but also we had that run of games early on in the season where the, the players were fit no injuries and, um, and, and, we, and we got the rub of the green in some games and it's just not going for us now. It's, when we look back at the season, there will be many, many things that we can pinpoint. But the case is we're in the Europa League and we've still got a chance of playing Champions League football. George Hurst came on against Tottenham to make his debut. Uh, it'll be in, uh, very interesting with this player because you can see where Luke Thomas 
uh, is going to fit into the squad because of his position as well. Is it easier to blood a young left back into a side that where you've got injury problems? And is it easier to do that than it is with a say centre forward? And, and I'm saying that on the basis of do do you think that George Hurst? And we'll wait and see what happens next season. But I'm not fully aware that George Hurst is in this squad for any other reason than maybe a little nod and a wink to the people upstairs to say, look, this is where we're at in the the, the the squad at the moment. We need reinforcements in certain positions. Whether Hurst has got there, and I know he scored uh, plenty of goals at youth level, and when we signed him, there was a, 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 not an issue, but there was some slight controversy at, at Sheffield Wednesday and the things uh, regarding him not signing contracts, etc. But he's been at Leicester for for a while now, and he's just started to get into the first team squad. I'm not sure whether it's because of merit. That's what I'm saying. Um, I might be barking up the wrong tree there. Do you know what I mean? And he might turn into a fantastic goal scorer. But it was a surprise for me that Hurst was included. Um, what do you think, Rob? Uh, and again, I'm, I'm not saying predict George Hurst's Leicester career now over the next however many years but it was more a surprise that he was included in the squads and then came off the bench yes you 3-0 down so why not throw a player on for their debut in in a in a Premier League game in a big stadium like Spurs's new one um but, but yeah it was a questionable decision and I think it's more to do with a look to next season with players to sign rather than actually for George Hurst you may well be right. The, the the thing we're looking at at the moment is the fact that the benches are getting bigger and bigger. We've not been in a situation before where teams have been able to name nine substitutes and, and you've only got to look at some of the smaller squads um, in the Premier League. Like Burnley, for example, straight after lockdown when they had those contract issues with some of those players, I think they named five subs one game or six subs one game and that normally would be fine. But the fact that you're now seeing what the next nine best players in uh, available at that time in a squad are, because that's who's on the bench, then it does highlight uh, squad size or lack thereof in, in our case, in terms of the fact that we've got so many key players out injured. We've always said, actually, and we said it in our season preview uh, back in the summer, that we've looked a little bit light up front. Really out-and-out out strikers-wise, you've only got Vardy and Iheanacho. Perez cl- classes as a forward, and if you really needed to play him up front on his own, you could. But in terms of out-and-out out strikers, you're looking for somebody who's playing on the shoulder of the last defender. You're looking for a natural goal scorer, and you've only got two in this squad. The other consideration, and the other thing I thought when I saw Hurst on the bench, was um, the fact that he does possibly provide a slightly different option. He's six foot three. He's not a small lad. So is it finally the time where Brendan Rodgers has listened to all of the armchair supporters, which we all are at the minute, let's be honest, um, and decided to have a plan B on his bench? I was interested when Hurst came on to see, okay, well, we've tried keeping the ball for 79% of the game, which we did against Spurs, and scored absolutely zero goals. So is this going to be the time we put the six foot three lad on, bang him up front, go a little bit more direct, and see what we can see if we can ruffle some feathers? Um, but that didn't happen because he ended up playing a bit deeper than 
than Vardy and Iheanacho when he came on as part of a front three. He sort of sat a bit deeper and tried to get involved on the ball to his feet. Now, I haven't watched enough of the um, development squad to know whether George Hurst is just one of those tall blokes who's not very good at heading uh, and getting it to his feet is the right thing to do. But the only other thing I could think of was that he must have been brought on for us to go long ball. Did we go long ball? Did we... Did we... Balls... Um, which kept uh, the traditional build it from the back, get the rhythm, get the tempo, get the method going from Brendan Rodgers uh, and never really looked like chasing the game. So if he wasn't on there as a as a target man and really he isn't first team quality at this moment anyway, because who can predict what will happen? We had Harry Kane at Leicester on loan at a, a similar age and look what he's gone on to achieve then it may well be, Pete, uh, a sign of as if to say, look, well, here it is. I've exhausted my attacking options from the bench and this is what I'm left with. But if if we were in the old days of five subs or the slightly more recent days of seven subs, you wouldn't be seeing George Hurst. He wouldn't have been on that bench. Your attacking option would have been Ian Acho that day. So, it, it, it you know, it, it is what it is with nine substitutes, isn't it? And if he goes on to have a great career for Leicester, fantastic. If he doesn't, then at least he got to make his debut at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and he touched the ball a couple of times. It, it throws up two things for me. One is it is a sort of player that we do need, a forward and also one with a bit of size. But also exactly what you said with the position, that is also a problem. And the problem is Jamie Vardy because he is the number nine and he plays right up top. So if you're going to have someone like Hurst or a player of the similar ilk, then as we saw with Slomani, if it doesn't quite click, even though it did in many parts with Slomani, it just didn't work out in other ways and, and also away from that forward line, you know, you're talking managerial, etc. at the football club. Um, it's... Um, it's going to be awkward because Vardy is the main man. The guy is going to hopefully, fingers crossed, win the golden boot. He, he is the focal point of the Leicester side and without him, we're nowhere. But it does throw up the question of if we do reinforce our forward line, there is that big problem of do you play someone alongside Jamie Vardy? Do you buy someone of a similar ilk and just have them on the bench? Can you attract players of a certain quality because they know that they're still going to be behind Jamie Vardy? So that argument is for another day, but it, it does pose that question when you have a player, and I think he is just a genuine number nine with a bit of size, Hurst, but when he does come on, he still doesn't play right up top because that's where Vardy is. And it's the problem with um, Kaleshi Iniacho because he has been very similar, again, played slightly not right up top because of Vardy. And also with Perez, you mentioned, I would love to see him play further forward. I think he's a genuine centre forward. He can play in other positions, but... We saw against Sheffield United, uh, he has got good technique. He can finish. Um, he's also deceptively good in the air. Remember them goals at the King Power for Newcastle on a couple of occasions. He's uh, he's actually fairly decent in the air. And I would like to see him play further forward. And maybe in the future he will. But um, that's for uh, for another time. It's natural now that we look forward, really. And we look at where we are in the league. We are level with Manchester United, okay? We are level on goal difference as well. And also, when it comes to goals scored, we are four goals in front. Um, now, do remember, when it comes to goal difference, whatever happens against West Ham, 
it can easily be taken back by Leicester matching that scoreline. But of course, they didn't have to because for every goal that they score against West Ham, if Leicester then do the same to Manchester United, you have to times it by two because, of course, our goal difference will increase and theirs would subtract at the same time. So Leicester go one up in, let's just say, for example, we are completely level in all faculties, in goal difference, etc. We go one up against Manchester United, okay? Our goal difference increases by one, theirs decreases by one. We are then two in front, etc. So there is that. So if Manchester United win, for example, by five goals to nil against West Ham, we don't have to beat Manchester United 5-0 to get back alongside. We would beat them, say, 3-0, and they would go down by three goals. We would go up by three goals, and it would mean that we're in front. So that's one way that we have to work that out I was told that today actually and it was it was kind of like oh my god I've never thought of it that way but there we go we've not really been in this position before the Chelsea scenario we just don't know we'll have to wait and see and by the time you're listening to this podcast or just before the game on Sunday we'll know where we stand and importantly what we need to do um so I've written uh, just just a, a few things down how do we beat Manchester United Rob I've got down a few things, okay? Because this is the this is the big crux now. We've got one game left and we're playing Manchester United who have been flying, absolutely flying in the Premier League. Um first thing is they have just lost in the semi-final of the FA Cup on a Sunday just after we played Spurs. They then play on Wednesday night against West Ham and then they play on Sunday, okay? So we will have a fully fit in terms of players we've got squad and they will be fully rested is probably the best way of putting it really because we would have a full week um they would obviously play on the wednesday so less time i've got a few things down i don't know whether you've got any ideas rob before i start to go through these one by one in fact i'll go i'll go with the first one i would play a back four i would not go with the three because it was just shown against Tottenham that in with pace, they can be easily got at. Easily got at. And Manchester United at the moment have one of the fastest forward lines. You look at Martial, you look at Rashford, Greenwood, uh, and even the runners from midfield aren't really slow, are they? Fernandes and, and say Pogba. And even the wing-backs, Mambasaka and, and Shaw get forward, they're not slow really. Um, so I would go back to the back four with Big Wes and Johnny Evans at the heart of it. And then the two out wide, it would be Justin and it would be Thomas. You'd play the players to each position, but it would be a back four. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Having watched us get horrendously exposed against Spurs from seemingly positive positions. You know, we conceded two goals when we had the ball in their half, like five seconds before the ball was in the back of the net. The, the wing-back formation, especially when your wing-backs are tasked with getting forward in wide positions because you're playing three forwards, essentially, is what we played um, with Barnes and Perez supporting Vardy, but they were all very narrow. Um, so the wing-backs are expected to be higher up the pitch. If you play a flat back four, it's exactly that. You want them to be organised, disciplined and in position whenever the opposition attack. So you just say to Thomas and Justin, defend. 
look, do your job, look after whoever it is that, that's on your side. And the way Manchester United have typically lined up is with a front three, Martial through the middle and Rashford and Greenwood from either side. And they're essentially what, what modern day tacticians are calling the inverted um, sort of inside right, inside left kind of positions because Rashford's coming in from the left on his right foot, Greenwood's coming in from the right on his left foot. They're posing all sorts of problems and they're scoring a silly amount of goals. So it would be silly... Because they will probably cheat a little bit, in in this in and what I mean by that is that they will probably leave Rashford and Greenwood high, Martial high through the middle. Both your wing backs have gone forward, and indeed he's trying to close down any runners from midfield. All of a sudden you're three on three against three of the pl- fastest players in the league, and you're looking at our back line going, "Oh, it's all right, we'll be." Fa- oh no, we won't. It's big Wes, it's big Johnny, and it's big Ryan, and nobody's calling them fast Wes, fast Johnny. Or fast Ryan. You play two centre backs, and I agree with you. I'd go with Morgan and Evans. I really would. I think Morgan was um, was terrific against Sheffield United in particular. To say he's not played very much football all season and at his age is great. It shows the the character that he's got and the reason that he's earned a new one year deal. Play him and Johnny Evans. Let them deal with Martial between them, and and, and whichever one from the the two wide positions maybe dr- drifts inside. Say, right, Justin, you've got Rashford. Thomas, you've got Greenwood. Two young lads against each other. That would be an interesting one. And and just do your job. Win your personal battle there and let everything else sort itself out. Because then in front of them, you would then... Also, you'd be asking Ndidi not to go anywhere. So you'd be saying, here's your back four against three forwards. And then there's Ndidi um, preventing Fernandez from getting in between the lines. You nullify those four players with our five players, you've always got a spare man. So if Fernandez has gone beyond Ndidi and, and Pogba's coming in to join in, you've got a spare centre-back to pick up Fernandez and then Pogba can deal, uh, Ndidi can deal with Pogba. I, th- I think we have to go four at the back and we have to say, we have to do what we did in the title winning season and say, say to Justin and Thomas exactly what was said to Simpson and Fuchs, sit, defend, don't concede. Do your job. Look after the wide man. I'm going to go even further as well, Rob, because I've written down my team here and the main players for me, and we always look at Leicester City, but it, it's not. It, it is Manchester United. It is their forward three and it's also Pogba and Fernandes. That's where the game is and there's no use denying that. Um, and so I would then play in front of that back four I would have three in midfield and those three are Hamza Chowdhury, Wilfred Ndidi and Dennis Pratt. Those three there. Now, if one of them wants to sit, whether it's Hamza, whether it's Wilfred Ndidi or or Pratt, then fine. Do you go man-to-man on someone like Hernandez? Maybe. But I would have those three sitting. One reason is because, and I've got Hamza one side and Pratt the other, is because they can instantly look after, say, Thomas on one side and Justin on the other. And if they need to instantly have help on those sides, they're there in those positions. And indeed, he kind of in the centre sitting. Does that mean that we're going to play counter-attack football? Oh God, yes it is. Because they're going to have the ball. And also, those players who were mentioned um, also leave one player in behind. Maybe Matic could then, will be sitting for Manchester United. And we know their bat line can be got at. 
Okay, they've conceded goals, and also we know Harry Maguire, and we know he's not the quickest. And Jamie Vardy will be sitting with Maguire the whole time, knowing he can outburn him, and Vardy would be right on the halfway line for me. So I would have those three in midfield, and then ahead of those three. So you've got four, then you've got three further forward, Vardy in the middle, and I would have Yuri Tillemans further behind obviously as a as i say a number 10 or a link to the midfield and then if you want to play another forward it would more than likely be barnes so barnes almost as alongside jamie vardy in a counter-attack sense that's who you would play because of the of, of, of the pace of barnes if you want to play gray then fine barnes really needs to step up um, with his goals because a few chances he missed against Sheffield United especially you know he's got to tuck them away now um, would he get the nod over Gray at this stage I would I would argue the case that whoever shows up in training this week so if Delmar Gray starts alongside Vardy as the two to break in a counter-attack then fine but that's the way I would go and the term get stuck in early would more than likely be identified as something you'll tell a team from the National League or League Two when they're playing a big side in the Premier League in an FA Cup third round tie. Get stuck in early, you know, let them know you're there. But guess what? Get stuck in early and let them know that you're there. Hamza, Wilford and Didi, Dennis Pratt, let Hernandez know that, uh, Fernandez know that you're there. Let um, Paul Pogba know that you're there. Even lay one on the, on the centre forward when no one's watching, stand on the foot or something, you know. You've got to do that because you cannot, and again, it's one game, one game's this season. All this season is in these 90 minutes. You've got to get in there early and say, even if they go one down, you cannot let them control the ball. You cannot let them play around you. And even if that means that after 45 minutes, you need to be subbed, then that's fine because we've got a million of them to come on because there's five subs now, which is a million. So they've got to be brave and they've got to get stuck in um and when i'm saying be brave be brave in the tackle go through with the challenge does it risk a yellow card yes does it risk maybe even more well yes quite frankly and i know that might sound basic and a bit agricultural but that's what they've got to do they really do and also be brave that goes for the manager in his selection but also in his substitutions something which we were critical last time, and a lot of people have picked up on this. And I made the analogy in our last podcast, Rob, about bringing on a front row in rugby uh, in the second half. That could be the case. So you've got these three midfielders. You've got um, an easy change in formation if needed, if we need to chase the game, if we need to hold the game. For whatever way, it's quite an interchangeable side with players who can play in different positions. But if it is the case, then... Bring on three at one time rather than just dribs and drabs. Radically change the side. Be brave. Make substitutions early if you like. And be absolutely positive. There's no use losing 1-0 in this game. You might as well lose 3-0 if that's the case. That's what they've got to do. And some people might be listening thinking, well, actually, this should be the case in every single game of football. They paid an absolute fortune. Well, you would be right. But it's a one-game season right now. You can't change what's happened in the past. That's how I would go. So in terms of formation, you're looking at a flat back four, three then directly in front of that, and then another three, Yuri Tillemans, and then the two forwards, Vardy with maybe Barnes nearer to Tillemans. That's what I would do. Um, what about you, Rob? Have you written a team down or uh, or gathered your thoughts after that? Mini rants, just a mini. 
I have, yeah. I've got one in my head. Uh, I just want to pick up tactically before I go back into finishing off my formation. Uh, I agree with the be brave um, statement, and I think that needs to extend to our attacking play as well. What I noticed against Sheffield United, which we haven't seen very much of, um, and again, it was circumstantial based on the fact that they were giving us an extra half a yard, was the willingness to play that forward pass. Was Tielemann's first thought being, can I get this ball forward rather than sidewards or backwards? I appreciate there is a time and a place for possession football. I appreciate that Brendan Rodgers has a certain playing style and he likes to move the ball quickly, but would rather keep it and go back than try a slightly riskier forward pass. Fine at times, but we have got to be brave on the ball for me uh, as well as as well as off it i agree with what you say tactically about about going for it ultimately you have got to make manchester united question the amount of time they're going to get on the ball you've got to make them question whether they want to win that game as much as you and the only way to do that is to get in their faces right from the very beginning you've got to show them that you are going to take fourth place away from them and you are going to get a Champions League place at their expense and you don't do that by being nice and I think the problem at Spurs uh, well I say one of the problems we weren't clinical enough but we were too nice we just kept the ball the possession stats tell you everything really that the fact that we did create the odd chance but the clinical edge wasn't there but also we kept the ball a lot of the time causing no real issue to Spurs. They were quite happy to watch us keep the ball. I would rather us not have the ball for as long, but and I'm not saying force it, but just look for that forward pass, which is why I've got to disagree with your shape slightly. Um, I would agree with having Ndidi and Chowdhury in there. I think Chowdhury is exactly the kind of player you need to have a bit of bite in this game and to, and to put himself about in what is a physical midfield, uh, of Manchester United, if they if they play Pogba, um, Matic and Fernandez, you know Pogba and Matic are two big lads, um, both way over six foot. Uh, Chowdhury won't mind sticking himself in there, and indeed he loves the physical nature of it as well. So I would have those two in there, and I would also have Yuri Tielemans in in as a three, and I would say, look, when we're defending, you've got three v three, you've got a man each. Um, I would expect Ndidi to pick up Fernandez as the as probably the most advanced. I would say Chowdhury, look, Pogba is fantastic when he fancies it and he's rubbish when he doesn't. So make sure he doesn't fancy this game and get right up at him and don't give him a, a second. That way, Matic is going to be the deepest. So Tielemans sits on him and Tielemans is the furthest forward of our three midfielders. And that's how I'd go. I would then play two out-and-out wingers. And I would say to them, look, you've got to do a Mark Albrighton here. You've got to get up and down that wing. And I would start Gray and Barnes because I think Gray, although he flatters to deceive and has done for years, during lockdown, especially when he's been needed, he's come on and had a positive impact on games. He's got the assist that we've needed. He's got the goal that's wrapped it up, um, uh, as he did against Sheffield United. Um He's got a bit more about him in the final third than Harvey Barnes, in my opinion, in in this current moment. But Barnes has more of an effect overall on the game in terms of charging about, in terms of taking on players. So I'd start both of them out wide. And I would say, look, 
we are going to have to sit in a 4-5-1 with Vardy up top for periods of this game. That's that's a given. Manchester United are playing extremely well. I think the game against Chelsea was... Um, uh, the result was uh, because of changes in shape and personnel, which they haven't had in the Premier League. Solskjaer has found a system and has found the 11 players that fit that system best and has been playing them week in, week out, every game in the Premier League. No wonder they had a bit of a rest during the FA Cup, and I think that's where they went wrong. They'll be back at it again on Wednesday and then against us on Sunday. So sit 4-5-1, but then this is where you've got to be brave. Rather than lumping an aimless ball up to Vardy for Maguire to just pluck off the top of his head, you've got to play that forward pass. Be brave, play that forward pass that, that I talked about a moment ago. And you've got to say to Barnes and Gray and Tielemans in particular, you have got to bust your gut to get up there alongside Vardy and get that defence turned around. If we're sitting deep, deeper, I don't want to sit too deep, deeper, then one, United are going to have less space in behind us. And two, their fullbacks are going to have to push up to try and get involved um, against Gray and Barnes. You stick a ball into that channel and either get Vardy running in that channel or get Gray and Barnes on the back of the fullback. You, you're going to cause them more problems than I think you are trying to play a possession game where you try and play through what is a very good central midfield. So I think we've got to bide our time a little bit. But the reason I'd start with Gray and Barnes rather than Perez, who I think has been good is because we want out-and-out raw pace and somebody that's going to chase a ball in behind. Perez would do it willingly, but he's not the fastest. So, pacey wingers, get that support to Vardy when we go forward, but get the 4-5-1, certainly for the first half. I've been very critical of Brendan Rodgers trying to not lose games in the past, but this way it stops Manchester United making a fast start. Having four at the back rather than three stops us being exposed in the channels and having 3v3 in the centre of midfield will hopefully nullify that. You know that Brendan Rodgers is going to do something completely different on Sunday, but that's why he's the manager and we talk rubbish down a microphone. Yeah, who, who knows? He, he might uh, he might be going with our sim- similar kind of sides, really. Uh, I, I understand where you're coming from and I, I like it. And I, I, I would at the moment be going with maybe Gray over Barnes just, just for that reason alone. Um, I would, again, look at the the sides in the Premier League, Liverpool and, and Manchester City, and you look at those two and go, whatever you do against them, they need to be maybe slightly off their game, but also you need to play to your strengths and your star players need to be really to the fore. And we've done that in the past. When we played Chelsea just prior to the lockdown, um in the 2-2 draw at the King Power, we had a side out that had the likes of Ricardo, etc., Chilwell in the side, Madison, Vardy. It was, again, full of our first-teamers, and we played to our strengths, and we should have won, but we drew 2-2. At the moment, we don't have that. We don't have Ricardo. We don't have Chilwell. We don't have Madison. So people might be looking at this game going, do you know what? Leicester just play our game, play to our strengths, play the way that we have done and that we've been successful this season, play the regular formation with interchange of players who are missing 
and just go for it in the way and the style that we have done. And I, I, I get that. I completely get that. The big problem for me is that there's only one team at the moment who you would not do that against, and that's Manchester United because of the way they're playing, because of the run they're on, and because of that firepower, those five players we mentioned, the forward three and then the midfield two. And that is where the game is won and lost for me. If we can nullify that, and I think we have to go ultra, not cautious, but we have to protect that middle of the park slash our centre-halves. Hamza and Didi and Pratt, for me, that's the reason that I've put those in there. Because, again, we're playing against this Manchester United. Not an early season team, and we're not playing with Ricardo or Chilwell or Madison. So we have to, in my opinion, go at Manchester United with a different style and with a different setup. Because that's the only way that I feel that we will be able to get something from the game. Now, what's going to happen? It's It's just really difficult we sit here Rob and we we pick out results we got it wrong obviously against um, Sheffield United and we didn't bother really against Spurs because it was uh, uh, all revolving around the Sheffield United game originally but um, it's uh, it's difficult because we again we sit here and we, we, we make predictions and it's only a prediction I mean end of the day it doesn't mean anything but this game means an awful lot um, there's going to be Leicester fans out there watching this and it will be the most nervous they've ever been watching a Leicester game. Um, has there been a game where there's been more riding on it in the history of the football club? Well, yes. League wins and and survival and cup finals, etc. Playoff finals. But arguably, this, this this could be a real turning point in, in the club's history. This could get us into the Champions League and it could mean that we could sign players who would not normally have come to the club and it could kickstart a run of Champions League football. Who knows? These sort of stories don't really come out in the wash until maybe a decade or so later, maybe even more when you know, rumours of, of, of transfers or stories of transfers get printed in autobiographies and, and whatever. But we don't know. We just don't know. It's, it's, a, it's an absolutely massive game for the club. And I would... Not just love Leicester to win. I would say it would be a result that you could stand tall and proud on, which we all are at the football club, but that you could dine out on this one result for many, many, many years. It's the season we qualified for the Champions League, through the league, even with the loss of all of our major players, pretty much. Even with the increase of performance of a possible title challenge by Manchester United the year after. It could be the start of a real um, upturn in their form and who knows what could happen in the future. Even with a fantastic Liverpool side and Manchester City with all their riches. And yet we still qualified. And of course, we all know Manchester United fans as well. And there's always the Harry Maguire thing. And and, and there's, there is that. Um, also, there is plenty of really odd and strange noise coming from north of the border from obviously incredibly bored Celtic fans who detest Rogers because he decides to leave and, and they're uh, delighted in the uh, in the fact that we've had a downturn in form. But uh, all that to one side, it, it, it would be absolutely fantastic to go to Barcelona rather than deepest, darkest Russia or Latvia or somewhere on a Wednesday, on a Thursday night. Um... So what's going to happen? I think it's going to be 
I think it's going to go one of two ways, Rob. I think it's either going to be a very similar game to Tottenham where they score fairly early and maybe lead 2-0 and just completely dominate the game and we know early on our fate. And quite quickly, before half-time, the conversation between Leicester fans goes along the lines of, well, we've played really well this season and you know the Europa League and, and it, it basically the season's ended before half-time. Or it turns into that match, one of those games where it goes down to the wire. There is a, a dodgy penalty. There's a VAR offside. Something dramatic happens and it falls one of two ways. I can't see Leicester winning the game comfortably. That's one thing. I really can't. And I don't think many people listening to this can as well, as much as would love it. Can I see Leicester getting a draw? Of course I can, because of the reasons we've outlined, especially with United. Who knows what could happen against West Ham? Who knows? West Ham have got form going to Old Trafford over the years. You remember De Canio scoring that goal with Bartes hand in the air. Uh, Carlos Tevez scoring when needing to keep them up in a game that actually didn't matter in the end, which this game on Wednesday actually might not as well. Very similar positions. So I can see Leicester holding United and I can see it getting very, very interesting. Who knows what's going to happen with Chelsea, whether the draw could be enough for both sides. Um, I just hope it's won by football. I hope it's won by a good goal, a lovely piece of skill or a dominating performance. I just hope it's not by VAR, something which we haven't mentioned, and we won't until the end of the season review, because I've got some certain things to say on it, and how much of a, a bit of a nightmare it is. But I hope it's won by a, a good piece of skill. But I think we can draw. And whether that's going to be enough, who knows. If we need the win, and we end up sacrificing the draw and losing the game because we're flying forward at the end, then there we go. That's That's what you've got to do. But I can see us drawing. I can't, unfortunately, see us winning. Here's what I'm going for. This is the scenario that I'm picturing. I'm picturing West Ham beat Manchester United um, on Wednesday because United suffering a bit of a hangover from losing to Chelsea in the FA Cup and and the pressure of their season possibly derailing. You know, fa- uh, chance of a, an FA Cup final and a Champions League finish. Well, the FA Cup's gone. And now it's all or nothing on the Champions League finish. Pressure's on. West Ham, mathematically not quite safe yet, but you would expect them to be with their superior goal difference to to the other teams down there that are chasing. So West Ham to beat Manchester United. And then us to draw with Manchester United, which let's remind you of the mathematical permutations. Uh, If Manchester United lose to West Ham, they stay on 62 points. Their goal difference would then go down. Even if they lose by one, it would go down by one. So they would be one goal difference inferior. So then it's Leicester 1, Manchester United 1, last minute, right? And Big Wes puts in a big tackle in the box. Ref gives a pen. VAR looks at it for five minutes overturns it in stoppage time and it finishes 1-1 and Leicester qualify for the Champions League. That's what's just happened in my brain while your scenario has been going round and I'm going to stick with it. Are you drunk? Because it's never in a million years are VAR going to side 
with whoever plays Manchester United, let alone Leicester. It's uh, that that was proved against uh, Crystal Palace the other day with the uh, the Zaha foul and oh dear. But um, everyone's going to have those dreams. Everyone's going to think, you know, is it the day? Does Jamie Vardy just turn up and score a hat trick? Is Yuri Tillemans going to score a brilliant free kick? You know, will Thomas score? Who knows? Um, it's it's really exciting. I'm getting more and more excited now sitting here, even though we've slightly been down on Leicester for, for obvious reasons throughout the podcast. It's, it's just so exciting. I, I would love for it to be the case that United lose against West Ham. It would set up the game incredibly well, both being on the same amount of points. I just think we're looking at actually the wrong club. I'm I'm still convinced that Chelsea are going to be the side if any of United or Chelsea missing out. I think it I think it's going to be Chelsea. Um mainly because of what I said regarding Manchester United and, and Leicester maybe not being able to beat them, but I I can just see Chelsea losing at, at Liverpool because Liverpool are going to be lifting the trophy at Anfield. They've got a good record at bouncing back after defeats since the lockdown and they're going to want to put on a show for that trophy lift and that means that Chelsea then will be playing Wolverhampton Wanderers at home. And Wolves, as we know, are a very good side. I don't think they'll take their foot off the gas whatsoever because they'll want to lay down a marker for next season because they're going to be wanting to be in Leicester's position in playing for a Champions League place late on. What a, what a great season they've had. And they should actually be, depending on whether we're in the Europa League or Champions League, they should be what we're aiming for next year, in a strange way. Being able to play to a very high standard in the Premier League and be in the European conversation until very late on, but also be very good in Europe. We need to look at Wolves and, and Leicester, the very similar sides, very similar um, standard of football, very similar teams, and you just hope they can do as a, a real favour. And I can see at some point on Sunday, maybe at half past four, maybe at five o'clock, but I can see maybe a goal flash from Stamford Bridge, and it being the fact that Chelsea nil, Wolves won, and Wolves being in front. And all of a sudden, it means that the scenario changes. Now, whether that lasts for five minutes because they equalise, or whether it's because a goal goes in at the KP, who knows. But I can see it being a, a, just a really intriguing game. And the first thing to say is, if it all goes wrong, and Manchester United, who have been in blinding form, if they do steamroll Leicester, for example... And they get Champions League, then, and regardless what happens at uh, Stamford Bridge, then, then hats off to Manchester United because they have played extremely well since the restart. If I just go back on their results, it is funny when you look back on teams' results and you see the huge gap from March to, uh, to, to June. I Since, think they were unbeaten in 19 games before the weekend against Chelsea, weren't they? That's that's correct. They were on a, a, an unbeaten run before the lockdown. They were playing very well. But just since the lockdown, they drew at Spurs and then they won one, two, three, four, five games on the bounce, including the FA Cup against Premier League Norwich. Then they drew against Southampton the other day. Then they won against um, Crystal Palace. So their the first defeat was against Chelsea in the FA Cup. So whether that defeat does knock the confidence, like you said, who knows? But in the league, they're, they've been brilliant and they needed that run because they wouldn't have got anywhere near Leicester if it wasn't for that run. How annoying does that sound in a way? But uh, and, and so, yeah, hats off to them if they get it. But uh, 
Christ, I hope they don't. Um, where are you watching it, Rob? I will more than likely be watching it at home. Um, and I think my mum and dad are going to come up for Sunday dinner and to uh, to gather around and either celebrate or commiserate together. What about you? Have you got any plans? <laughs> I'm at work. Um, oh, dear. Well, yeah, I'm at work, which I'll be surrounded by, you know, screens with it on, talking out loud regarding the games because it will be plenty of betting in play, etc. Um, so if you want to go into your local uh, <laughs> your your local Labrooks betting office and, uh, and listen to a madman on the airwaves talking about the goals going in, etc., then uh, then please do. Um, we will have live coverage of the game in there, so it's a great way to listen and uh, and watch the match. But uh, I will be finishing at half five, so <laughs> so with the uh, with the fixtures kicking off, um, is it four o'clock kickoff? Is it the all kickoff at four? So I will be watching it at work, and I'll obviously stick around for the final fifteen minutes and and and, and watch that. So. Uh, yeah, I won't be in a pub. I won't have a beer in hand. I will be at work. Probably the safest place, really, unless obviously I swear on air and get fired. But um, yeah, it's um, it shouldn't have come to this. It, it it shouldn't have. But this is the scenario that we've been dealt. Ain't our fault. We ain't done out wrong, and we couldn't have changed anything. As I said earlier, with 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 no crowds. Uh, in in the in the grounds overall, it's been a very good season. You go from ninth to at worst fifth with a squad the size of we have and we know, and we know the quality of the squad away from the immediate first team because it's shown in the last few weeks they they've done so well and it's an amazing platform and this is what we'll be talking about next week for the club to grow from a good very good young team that they can build on with a good manager the training ground as you man- mentioned and at the moment I've got on TV Brighton nil Newcastle nil Two sides who are mid to low table, and you know we're better than these sides. We really are. We're better than most teams in the Premier League, and also we're better than them with a very young side and a great basis to grow. So it's a great position that the football club are in. And who knows? We could be sitting next year, being in the semi-finals, quarter-finals of the Europa League, and thinking we can win a European competition. There is no reason that being in the Europa League means. Oh, it's a massive shame we missed out on Champions League. Oh, the Europa League is going to be annoying. We can win that. There's no reason we can't go into that tournament and expect to go go far. And as soon as you get into the knockout stages later on, well, it, it's up for grabs, as someone once said. <laughs>